Welcome to Plain Talk. Plain Talk has a new podcast every two weeks with up-to-date information about aviation technologies for general and business aviation. From home to cockpit to boardroom to personal tech, Plain Talk provides informative information for pilots, industry insiders, and aviation enthusiasts alike. My name is Phil Lightstone. I'm a general aviation pilot with over 1,900 hours in my logbook, flying almost every week with over 30 years experience in the technology and aviation industries. Well, I'd like to introduce Marco Ringinger, president of a cool new company, Valley Air, in the business of building out aviation trusts as part of their business. Uh, welcome to Plain Talk, uh, Marco. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Oh, our pleasure. Let's talk about uh, the heady business of aviation trusts. What uh, what got you into the into the business, Marco? Tell us uh, tell us your story. Yeah, absolutely. So I started out in aviation, working for European clients, mostly scouting exotics for them, warbirds, other aircraft they wanted to buy. And we would also manage STCs for them, various conversions, avionics upgrades. And so we would take care of the ferry flights, managing those for containerization for smaller aircraft. And a lot of my clients asked me if I'd be willing to take on the trust piece as well, because these were all foreign owners who had their aircraft in various trusts. Most of them were Europe-based, as I mentioned. So we started offering that service essentially as a courtesy. The demand became such that we were contemplating fleshing it out into a full division, a full business unit. Shortly after we did that, the dynamics in the market changed because a large player in the market got into some hot water with the federal government and a lot of their clients were looking for a new home. And so we got a lot of inquiries in terms of aircraft operators wanting to transfer and also requesting assistance in maneuvering the legal landscape and the bureaucracy involved in getting their aircraft released from the Southern Trust Company. So I guess that maneuvering and uh, with a, a, let's call it a bad actor, that's got to be pretty challenging to get an aircraft released and put into a new trust. It was very challenging in the beginning. And that was mostly because the government hadn't yet decided on how to streamline the process and what the parameters were going to be for them to essentially release the aircraft. So you have federal law enforcement involved, specifically an agency that deals with export regulations, the Bureau of Industry and Security, which falls under the Department of Commerce. But also entities you folks don't usually interact with, such as the Census Bureau, and, of course, the U.S. Attorney's Office that was leading the investigation and the prosecution into this alleged bad actor. Sure. And so it, it took a lot of persistence and phone calls and speaking to federal special agents and the U.S. Attorney's Office and the Census Bureau and kind of stimulating dialogue and stimulating the desire to provide some kind of escape route, if you will, uh, for clients who are legitimate to get title and control over their aircraft back. And of course, on the side of the clients, a lot of them were panicking because they thought they had lost their aircraft, some of them. 
And um, certainly in the beginning, it was a very opaque situation as to how they would be able to get title back or sell their aircraft that they wanted. Probably not something that the uh, federal government deals with on a day-to-day -day basis. Certainly not at that scale. I think it was over 1,200 aircraft or, or right around the 1,200 mark that were affected. And these are general aviation aircraft all the way from Piper Cubs to Gulfstreams. It created quite a bit of chatter in the industry, a lot of panel discussions and press and concerned citizens, as it were. Hmm. And yes, for the government, the workload is still tremendous, was and still is tremendous because 1,200 aircraft are a lot of aircraft if you have to look into each one and determine the legitimacy of that particular beneficiary of that trust or aircraft operator. Probably impacted with COVID pandemic. Certainly at the federal U.S. Attorney's DOJ level, uh, operations there certainly slowed down as, as they did with most government agencies. At the same time, the demand increased and, and folks wanted to take advantage of, of the hot market and sell aircraft, and then they found themselves inhibited from doing so. I think that was pretty frustrating for people. And then there were legitimate items that had been neglected, such as the requirement to export an airplane, which doesn't really pertain to beneficiaries in Canada, but it, it pertains to just about every other country. So you started uh, business in 2018. The trust group started uh, mid-2020. You're operating, uh, you have clients operating in over 30 countries, over 180 airplanes that you operate the, the trust for. That sounds like a lot of high growth in your business. It is. We're blessed with high growth. I think our reputation has helped us. Our dedication to offering the best customer service we can. Word of mouth has been really helpful for us. We also advertise. And we, I think we, we do things a little differently than some of our competitors in terms of availability of customer service representatives, speed with which we operate, giving the whole operation a personal touch and really taking the time to talk to customers and listen to what exactly their concerns are that their special requirements may be, how we can best help them, both in terms of setting up a trust, but also auxiliary services that we offer, such as export-import, handling, setting them up with a DAO, perhaps, helping them find a good AMPIA, getting their um, EASA licenses validated with EFA, and things of that sort. So we, mm -hmm. we try to be a one-stop shop as much as we can. So for folks uh, in the Plain Talk audience that aren't aware of uh, aviation trusts. Do you want to just lay it out for the, for the folks? Absolutely. So under federal regulations, U.S. federal regulations, only an American natural person, as in an individual holding U.S. citizenship, or a legal entity that has a voting interest of 75% in U.S. control, meaning its members, its shareholders, its ownership is in 275% in U.S. control, are allowed to own a November registered aircraft, as in be the registered owner with the FAA. And so that presents a hurdle for a lot of individuals overseas who don't have U.S. citizenship or even folks living in the United States or one of its neighboring countries like Canada 
who want to operate in the November registered aircraft for the benefits that that offers. And so the FAA has an official policy called the non-citizen trust policy, where it outlines the requirements for the aircraft to be owned by a trust of which the foreign operator is the beneficiary. So they hold the economic interest in the aircraft. The trustee, us, Valier, manages the trust as trustee, administers all the legal requirements, and is the interface for the FAA for that particular aircraft. And then the aircraft is leased back to the foreign beneficiary as operator in a dry lease, and that allows them to fly and operate the aircraft. They still have to uphold all requirements that any airplane owner would have to uphold under U.S. regulations and law, but it allows them to legally operate a November registered aircraft anywhere in the world, really, aside from countries that are sanctioned, of course. Of course. So sounds like a really easy way for, as you said, for non-citizens to uh, own and operate November registered uh, aircraft. It is. I think it's a very elegant legal instrument. It's completely legal. It's governed by FAA regulations. The requirements are very explicitly spelled out. And as long as you pick the right partner, it's a great way to operate a November registered aircraft and have a partner that knows the business, that knows the nuances and ins and outs of the legal requirements and the federal regulations that apply. And enjoy the benefits of having a November registered aircraft using the FAA as a clearinghouse. And, and of course, navigating, excuse the pun, the uh, FAA uh, bureaucracy, shall we say. Yeah, absolutely. So finding the right trustee will give you that partner that I mentioned that will help you understand federal aviation regulations and will ideally prevent you from running afoul of them, whether it be inadvertent or through you know, a laissez-faire attitude, a good trustee will encourage you to operate that way. Any uh, examples of why folks are gravitating to trusts? There are a variety of reasons. One big reason is that a lot of people in foreign countries don't want to deal with their particular aviation authority. So uh, in some places in the world, it could be a matter of corruption, not wanting to have to deal with corrupt officials. In other places, it could just be a very cumbersome bureaucracy, a lot of red tape, very slow response times that they're not keen on. In some places, the environment is very hostile towards general aviation because the government discourages general aviation. They want to focus and cater to commercial operations exclusively. So there it can help. Also, sometimes the licensing requirements are cumbersome or more stringent than FAA licensing requirements, specifically when it comes to things like instrument ratings. Sometimes it's just a matter of that particular aircraft doesn't have a type certificate in that jurisdiction. And so they can only operate the airplane as a November registered because they'll never get it airworthy and registered in that country. Specifically, this applies when it, when we're talking about old timers, old exotics and classic aircraft. I think one of my friends has a uh, six-place uh, modern jet that wasn't, a, wasn't certified by Transport Canada, so he kept it on the November registry. Yeah, exactly. That could be an example. Oftentimes, experimentals 
um, are, are a good use case for, for a trust and keeping it on the November registry. Sometimes it's a matter of getting an STC that wouldn't be available on the other registry or a specific set of avionics. Sometimes it's it's just a legal thing. You know, folks don't want to have to deal with a specific legal requirement or contradictory tax implication or whatever else it may be, and, and then they choose to go with a trust. Do you have to do um, IRS filings and state taxes and all that kind of stuff? The short answer is no, because the trust as such is a pass-through entity. So we're organized in the state of Utah. Our trusts are business trusts under the laws of the state of Utah. And our contracts very clearly spell out that the operator bears the responsibility both of upholding aviation-related rules and regulations, but also the, the laws and tax requirements of their specific jurisdiction. And so because most of our clients, I would say 95% of them, are in a jurisdiction overseas, it, it's really up to them to make sure they don't run afoul of, of their particular country's tax requirements. Of course, we can't stay on top of the tax regulations for, you know, like you said, over 30 countries. Now, if the airplane is in the United States, we make sure that wherever the operator is primarily hangered and based and operated out of, that they uphold the local tax requirements, state tax requirements. The trust itself is not a taxable entity under federal tax, U.S. federal tax laws, because it doesn't generate any income. And so it's, it's a strictly a pass-through entity to the operator. Ah, interesting. I saw a, a very cool quote on your website, which just resonated. We put the trust back in aircraft trust. I thought that was so, uh, so interesting. And I was just curious, you know, as a, a beneficiary or potential beneficiary, how does one, you know, validate that the trust provider is on solid financial grounds? That's a really good question, Phil. In my opinion, a variety of things potential customer in the market should look for when selecting their trustee, their partner in the aircraft trust business. One of them is what kind of background checks does that company, that trustee, conduct when they take on new clients? And the reason that's so important is because you won't be the only client for that trust company, and you want to make sure that that trust company does everything they can to ensure that their portfolio stays clean of folks who are engaged in nefarious activities, for lack of a better term. Because, and recent history has demonstrated this pretty clearly, if there are individuals that use that particular trustee for illegal activities, everybody in that trust, even though each client in a good trustee has their own individual trust in terms of the, the individual legal instrument, but the company itself can be affected, which most likely will affect all their clients. So you really want to see, okay, what do they do to filter out bad actors? How stringent are their background checks? How stringent are the questions they're asking? How stringent are their, is their due diligence into making sure that you don't run an illegal charter operation or an illegal commercial activity or do things with the aircraft you're not supposed to. And at the same time, you, you're going to want to be patient with this process and, and go through it and, and bear with it because that process is what protects you as a client in the long run. 
Then the second thing is how is that trustee set up in terms of succession and continuity of operations should something happen to the principals? Example, in my case, I'm also a pilot. I like to do adventurous things and sometimes there's risk involved. You know, what would happen if, God forbid, I have an accident and I'm incapacitated or I perish, say, in an accident? You're going to want to have the questions answered. Well, who's going to run the business? Who's going to take care of the trust? Is there a seamless transition that's already in place so that somebody can sign a bill of sale and give me back title to my aircraft when that time comes? The third thing is, like you said, financial health, financial due diligence, a clear understanding of fiduciary duties. For example, we very intentionally don't act as an escrow company or a title company, even though we would have the ability to do so because we actually have a contracted workstation inside the FAA's registration branch registry in Oklahoma City. Because we can't be an independent escrow agent to a transaction that we're party to. And every trust transaction where a bill of sale is issued to the trust and you take ownership of the aircraft as trustee, you're a party to. And so you can't also be an independent party managing funds. And so that would be a red flag. For example, if if the trust company also acts as as an escrow company, it's just a very clear conflict of interest. So how do you find out these things? Well, I would say start with a really solid conversation with the trustee and see, well, are they even willing to have that 10, 15, 30, one hour long conversation with me and the patients to answer all my questions? And do they have good questions, good answers for me that give me a comfortable feeling that that's the right partner? I think it's it's time well invested because at the end of the day, your, your aircraft's at stake. And it, it might sound overly dramatic, but really once you can't regain title to your aircraft, things get very, very difficult. And even though it's just paperwork, it, it can be really debilitating in, in, in terms of the ability to operate your aircraft or sell it when you want to. It's good practice to invest the time up front to make sure nothing like that could ever happen. You know, you mentioned, uh, you know, exotic aircraft, warbirds, P-51, Mustangs obviously come to my mind. It's one of my favorite airplanes. Uh, and, you know, easily into two million U.S. dollars plus, and you also talked about the higher end on you know, Gulf Streams and airplanes like that, and into more serious uh, money, as, as, as you pointed out, there's a lot at stake. Yeah, there is. And, you know, sure, sometimes it's it's the dollar value. I mean, we have 737s in our portfolio, for example. But also, from my experience, every year owner holds their aircraft really dear <laughs> even if it's just a small tail dragger that they've invested you know hundreds of hours in, in in terms of tinkering with it and and for a lot of aircraft owners i find their airplane is kind of the center of of at least their hobby universe if not you know their their most important possession in their in their lives and so i think for everyone they they should be aware of the risks aware of the benefits and invest the kind of time that due diligence requires to make the right decision. And it's not that hard. I mean, we're out there, you know, there are good players out there. Just have a good conversation and and let your intuition guide you. And I think you'll find the right place. Some pilots, it's uh, 
almost like having a family member go off uh, providing and having a third party provide uh, guidance and custody of your family member for a period of time. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think that's an exaggeration. I certainly know some aviation enthusiasts who uh, would do just about anything for their airplane. I think the litmus test is, you know, have they named their airplane? Their right. Air, airplane has a name and they have, you know, matching uh, embroidered shirts and hats. And... Sure, absolutely. And and hats and keychains made and a website with a tail number and, you know, November12345 at gmail.com. Absolutely. Uh, how much does setting up and running uh, an aviation trust cost? Our price structure is very straightforward and very transparent. So currently we charge $750 annually. That's our premium. And unlike some of our competitors, that actually includes the setup and the registration. So we take care of all the initial requirements, the bulk of the paperwork and navigating the bureaucracy that's required to get the trusts reviewed by the FAA's attorneys and then have the ability to register an aircraft under it. We also offer other services such as export filing. So as I mentioned earlier, one big thing that folks often neglect because they don't know, frankly, is that if you move a November registered aircraft overseas, even though it's still November registered, if it stays there for longer than a year or spends more than 50% of its time there, you have to export it with the Department of Commerce. So this is completely separate from any aviation regulations. It's simply a, a commerce regulation. And it doesn't cost anything in terms of monies rendered to the U.S. government. We charge a fee for it, uh, $450. But that's what makes it legal. That's what makes it legally exported. So that's one of the auxiliary services we offer. But yeah, in terms of the trust, it's just the $750 a year. $2 million airplane and pay you $750 a year to look after it. That didn't, you know, look after the, the trust, that is. That didn't seem like a horrible amount of money. <laughs> yeah, thanks for saying that. I think, I don't, I don't think it's dirt cheap. It's, it's still money. Yeah. But I do agree that we're competitively priced. Of course, that's intentional. Mm -hmm. But we want to make it a fair price. You know, there's, there's a certain amount of work and labor that goes into it, and there's a certain amount of intellectual property and experience that goes into it that is only acquired over, you know, several years and, and a lot of homework. But I think it's a fair price. Now, I agree with you. If you operate a Gulfstream 650, $750 isn't even a blip on the radar. But for us, it's, it's where we're where we set our price point because we don't only cater to heavy iron and large corporate jets. We cater to your Piper Cherokees and Cessna 172s, you know, the same way we do PC-12s and Citation jets. So yeah. we think it's a fair price. I think uh, it puts us in a very competitive spot as far as what I consider the premium trusts are concerned. There are some mom and pop shops, which we don't really consider competition. But as far as the premium trusts go, I think we're very competitively priced. And I like to keep it that way. We, it's still good business. We, we, we have great growth. We have great revenue. The business is very healthy. So at this point, I don't see a reason to change it anytime soon. Of course, you never know what happens with inflation or 
you know, if suddenly the FAA decides that the $5 registration fee that they charge ever since the 50s, uh, <laughs> it's time for an upgrade, who knows, then we might have to adjust. But for right now, I think we're well situated. So I know we spoke uh, at length back in October of uh, 2021. And in that conversation, you were chit-chatting about Valley Air Crypto. Any, uh, any headway with the project? Yeah. Um, so, of course, since then, some things happened in the crypto space, uh, including a pretty dramatic downward correction. And also um, there were other business units that just required more attention. Uh, we had to prioritize those. But Valier Crypto is still a very alive project. And actually what we decided to do after listening a little bit to what the community actually wanted is that not only is it going to be a conduit to where you can purchase an aircraft using digital assets and will be the interface between crypto and fiat and essentially a clearinghouse in order for you to do that. But we're also thinking about using it as a vehicle for individuals to invest through cryptocurrency into Part 135 operations, into charter operations. So purchasing an aircraft with digital assets and then placing that aircraft onto the Part 135 operator certificate of a management company in order to have a fiat return on investment for that digital currency investment. And so that's what we're finalizing in terms of structure right now, and, and that's what we're going to go live with. And I think it'll generate quite a bit of interest in, in the crypto community. Oh, sounds awesome. And just to uh, finish it up, what's what's on the horizon at Valier? Well, the biggest thing right now in terms of new projects that we're very excited about is our Part 137 operation. It's uh, our aerial firefighting operation where we've developed new technology in cooperation with some very talented engineers and some very talented industry professionals with a, a long list of different leadership positions and management experience uh, in terms of getting into the aerial firefighting space. I can't reveal too much about it just yet, but Valley Air Fire is going to be a very exciting project where we're going to try and bring innovation to the aerial firefighting space and help with fighting wildfires that have been pretty devastating uh, in the American West and really all over the United States and Canada and, frankly, the world. Any final words for the Plain Talk audience? You know, we, we love doing business with Canada. We uh, love helping foster general aviation and specifically the FAA and U.S. general aviation regulations for the international aviation community. We love connecting with pilots and aircraft operators and aircraft owners overseas. And so if anyone ever wants to reach out because they have questions or you know, if they just want to chat, we're always here. We, we're in this business because we love aviation and, and we love the community and the, the aviation community and kind of the family feel it has and, and the integrity and, and kind of camaraderie that's there. So very excited to be on this podcast, very excited to you know, have an opportunity to speak to the community. And, you know, we look forward to many years in this industry and connecting with folks all over the world, whether it be in Canada or elsewhere. Well, Marco, thank you so much for being part of the, uh, the Plain Talk cockpit.
Thank you for having me, Phil. Thanks for listening to this episode of Plain Talk. If you have any ideas for a future Plain Talk episode, please go to the Contact Us page at plaintalk.ca and send in your idea. Don't forget to like us at plaintalk.ca, our Facebook and LinkedIn pages, and this podcast. And never stop living the dream.